This is Deacon Greg sharing Walking in the Way of Love. Turn. Last Sunday, the Episcopal Church held a prayer service at the National Cathedral called Holding On to Hope. Today, I am sharing the presiding Bishop Michael Curry's sermon from that service. On Wednesday, I will share some of the prayers that were offered up during that service. Now in the name of our loving, liberating, and life-giving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. From the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain and taught them. The Beatitudes that were just read a few moments ago in your hearing by a variety of voices from around the country are part of a compendium of the teachings of Jesus that Matthew has brought together in one place. They are often called the Sermon on the Mount, so-called because he taught them, preached them on a mountain. But think not that the mountain is a mere incidental detail. In 1939, Zora Neale Hurston, an anthropologist and great writer, published a novel that retold the story of Moses and God's freedom movement in the book of Exodus. She told it in the idiom of African slaves, but she told it in the context and as a critique of the world in America and around the world in 1939. She used the biblical story as a critique of lynching and Jim Crow segregation. She used the biblical story as God's critique of the rise of fascism and bigotry and hatred around the world of 1939. And she titled the book, Moses, Man of the Mountain. The mountain is not an incidental detail. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain and began to teach them. It was on a mountaintop named Sinai that Moses encountered God in a burning bush and the voice of God challenged Moses to leave the world of his self-centered interest and to give his life in the service of God's cause of freedom. Go down, Moses, way down in Egypt land, and you just tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. That was on a mountain. Years later, after the freedom struggle, when the Hebrew slaves were, were finally free, 
Moses returned with the people to that mountain and he went up the mountain and there on Mount Sinai, God gave him the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, God's law for how to live with that newfound freedom. And even years later, as the people journeyed toward their promised land, Moses went up Mount Nebo and God let him look over and behold the promised land even though Moses himself would not enter into it. And centuries later, centuries after Moses, a follower of Jesus, on the night before he was killed, in Memphis, Tennessee, named Martin, he beheld and claimed again that image of the mountaintop and beholding the promised land that he himself would not enter. No, the mountaintop is not an incidental detail. The mountaintop is where prophets and poets, as the old slaves used to say, look over yonder. It is where they behold not the world as it is, but the world as it is meant to be. It is, it is where they, they behold um, um, something beyond the nightmare of reality um, and something closer to the dream of God's new reality. It is where they behold not what is, but what ought to be and what God destines and is determined will become one day. Oh, the mountaintop is where folk can see the promised land of God, not made of soil and earth, but made of spirit, freedom, justice, compassion, and love. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And he went up the mountain and he said, here is the way. Here is the way you who are poor. Here is the way you who are poor in spirit, you who are downtrodden and broken heart by this world. Here is the way to the promised land. Blessed are you when you are compassionate and merciful. That's the way to the promised land. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst that God's righteous justice might prevail in all the world. That is the way to the promised land. Blessed are you who make for peace and work tirelessly until peace breaks out in all the world, until people learn how to lay down their swords and shields down by the riverside and study war no more. This is the way to the promised land. Love your enemies. Yes, love, 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 love even your enemies. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. These teachings, these are the way beyond the nightmare of reality as it often is in the direction of God's promise. Now, somebody may be thinking, preacher, this sounds good in church. But we don't live in church. We live in the real world. I'm glad you asked that question. You raise a good point. A few years ago, I was preparing a sermon. I was in a public library here in Raleigh. And uh, I got tired and um, sort of bored with myself and got up and started walking around the stacks. And I looked on the bookshelves, and there was this little book in the religion section 
that was titled The Great Sayings of Jesus. And I opened the book and most of the sayings, many of them came from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I went back and then looked at the foreword to the book. And the foreword to the book had been written by Richard Holloway, who was then the primus or presiding bishop of the Scottish Episcopal Church. And in that foreword, he said this about Matthew's gospel and the Sermon on the Mount. He said, in the Sermon on the Mount in particular, we get something of God's dream for a transformed creation. But the rest of the gospel story reminds us that the dream is costly, that dreams are cruelly disposed of by the world. But the dream, the dream lives on. Nothing can kill it for long. And Jesus will go on breaking out of every tomb into which we consign him. Jesus said, blessed are you when you're compassionate and merciful and just and peacemaking. Blessed are you when you do unto others as you would have them. Blessed are you when you live by the way of love. This is the way to the promised land. Do not think that these values and ideals and moral principles that we have been given from Jesus of now, do not think that they are weak and ethereal things. The truth is, it is people who have lived by noble ideals who have changed the world for the good. Ideals matter. Our values matter. They matter for us as individuals. They matter for us in our relationships. They matter for us in our communal relationships. They matter for us as a society, as a nation, as a world. Our values matter. A few years ago, I picked up a little book called All I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And in the book, the author, Robert Fulgram, lists the things that he learned in kindergarten. And many of us learn the same things. Listen to this list. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. Flush. And this last one, when you go out into the world, watch out for the traffic. Hold hands and stick together. The old slaves used to say that wisdom this way, walk together, children, and don't you get weary because there's a great camp meeting in the promised land. We may think those values are just for children. But for a moment, imagine our society and our lives if we reversed those values. Share everything? No. Imagine a world, a society, in which the value of sharing is replaced by greed and selfishness. Do you really want to live in a world like that? Play fair? Oh, no. No. Cheat. Lie. Steal. Would make for an interesting World Series if cheating was legal. 
interesting Super Bowl, interesting election, interesting democracy. Wash your hands before you eat. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no don't, you don't need Purell. Um, no, 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 go ahead. Go on, be dirty. Eat. Spread the germs. Flush. I rest my case. The truth is, without values that ennoble us, that lift us up, and that liberate us to live, without values, life descends quickly into the abyss, into an abyss of a hell on earth. Oh, no, do not despair. Do not diminish. Do not think values are mere ethereal things. Values make life noble. Values lift us up above the brutish beast. Our values, they matter. Mahatma Gandhi said it this way, your beliefs become your thoughts, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become your habits, your habits become your values, and your values determine your destiny. Our values matter. The values and dreams we hold as a nation, our shared American values, they matter even more. We hold this prayer service in the midst of a national election, in the context of profound divisions that left unhealed could prove injurious to the fabric of democracy itself. My friends, the right to vote and to participate in the democratic process is a value of the highest order. Democracy is a value that we who call ourselves American believe in. It is a precious value, a sacred one. To be sure, no form of governance attains perfection. The preamble of the Constitution wisely reminds us that each generation must continue the evolving work of forming a more perfect union. No, democracy is not perfect. It is not static. It must be ever-growing and evolving. And it's not perfect. Nothing invented by human beings is perfect. Only God is perfect. And yet, democracy is, I believe, the offer of the best hope of sustaining and maintaining human freedom, respecting human rights and dignity, equal justice under the law, and as the Bible says, respecting every human being, no matter what their race, no matter their color, no matter their sexual orientation, identity, no matter their political party, no matter anything, no matter who they are, every human being is created in the image and likeness of God and is a child of God. Despite our flaws, we have a shared value in the democracy itself. It matters. Reinhold Niebuhr said it well. Man's capacity for justice makes democracy possible. But man's inclination to injustice makes democracy necessary. My friends,
our democracy is a value. But there's more. On the great seal of the United States, the one where the bald eagle, the great seal of the United States developed by the founders of this country. Above the bald eagle are ribbons. And on those ribbons, you'll see written there, E Pluribus Unum. From many, one. That is a value of this nation, that from many diverse peoples, we are one nation. It's not known, however, often, where that Latin phrase, e pluribus unum, comes from. It actually comes from the writings of Cicero in ancient Rome, in the Roman Republic. And Cicero wrote, and I quote, when each person loves the other as much as he loves himself, it makes one out of many possible. When each person loves the other as much as he or she loves themselves, it makes e pluribus unum possible. It makes America possible. Love makes for each other doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. Those religious values are not just nice ideas. They are foundation. They are cornerstones for a democratic society in which everyone is respected as a child of God, on which there is equal justice under the law, in which there is equality among all. Jesus of Nazareth said that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Moses said it, love your neighbor as yourself. And Cicero said it. And the e pluribus unum, which is the result of that love, is a value of America. Oh no, we have some, we have some shared values as a nation and they are precious and we must hold on to them. T Thomas Jefferson probably gave us the best when he wrote at that Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We hold these truths to be self-evident. They are not debatable. They are not up for a vote. All people have been created equal by God. That is a value of this great country. Abraham Lincoln's said much the same thing. On that field of Gettysburg four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Human equality and dignity is a value of this country. And we all learned as children the words of the Pledge of Allegiance, a Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, listen to this, one nation under God, indivisible, 
with liberty and justice, not for some, but for all. That is America. 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 God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Our values matter. And these values of our nation matter in this moment in our nation's life. Many years ago, I was at a church picnic when I was a parish priest. And I just happened to be sitting at a picnic table with a number of parishioners, several of whom were veterans of World War II and Korea. I was just sitting there with them eating and one of them, well into his 80s at that time, was one of the Tuskegee Airmen, the first black air unit to fight in history during the Second World War. In the course of the conversation, and I don't remember what occasioned it, but in the course of the conversation, he started talking about Eleanor Roosevelt. And he spoke of her with, with, with deep reverence and respect. He went on to explain why. In the beginning, as you know, the Tuskegee Airmen, an all-black air unit, were prohibited from flying and fighting for their country even during the Second World War because of the color of their skin. At the time, there was a great debate in the Congress of the United States as to whether or not a black person had the lung capacity to handle altitude and the brain capacity to manage a plane. It was actually debated and anthropologists and scientists were brought to argue the case on both sides. Nothing changed. The Tuskegee Airmen kept training, never knowing for sure if they would ever be able to fight for their country. The tide turned when Eleanor Roosevelt went to Tuskegee herself. She brought the press with her and they with their pencils and pads and cameras chronicled what happened next. Eleanor Roosevelt, first lady of the United States, got in an airplane being flown by a Tuskegee airman and they went up and flew over the Alabama countryside for 45 minutes. And the press took pictures of it. And that picture of Eleanor Roosevelt in that plane flown by a Tuskegee Airman went viral, as we would say today. And it changed the debate. What led Eleanor Roosevelt to do that? Harold Ivan Smith, in a spiritual biography of Eleanor Roosevelt, says, and I quote, Eleanor Roosevelt wanted her critics to join her in working to make a new America, an America that lived out the Declaration of Independence and the Beatitudes of Jesus. 
she held deep the ideals, the values of this country, and the values of Almighty God. And she and those Tuskegee Airmen changed history. Between 1943 and 1945, they flew over 15,000 sorties during the Second World War in Europe. There were 96 distinguished flying crosses given to them, 14 bronze stars, 744 air medals, eight purple hearts, and in 2007, President George W. Bush awarded 300 of them, many of them posthumously, 300 of them were awarded the Congressional Gold Medal. I was raised by folk like those guys sitting at that picnic table. I remember my grandma's living room where she proudly displayed her two sons who fought in World War II in segregated units but in the Army Air Corps. And she was proud of her boys. My wife has the discharge papers of her grandfather who fought in a black unit in World War I. This much I know. These folk fought for America because they loved America even when America didn't love them back. They believed in America because even when this nation fell short, the values and ideals of America, the dream of America, stands tall and true. And that dream will see us through these days. So whatever your politics, however you will or have cast your vote, however this election unfolds, Wherever the course of racial reckoning and pandemic take us, whether we are in the valley of the shadow of death or in the mountaintop of exaltation, hold on to hope, America. Hold on to hope grounded in values and ideals that can hold us and see us through. Hold on, as folk used to say, to God's unchanging hand. And walk, pray, for this, our nation, as James Weldon Johnson long ago taught us to sing and pray, God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who hast brought us thus far on our way, thou who hast by thy might led us into the light, Keep us forever in the path we pray. Lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee. Lest our hearts, drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. Shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand true to our God true to our native land. Amen. Thank you for joining me on my walk in the way of love. I would love to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, 
and suggestions for future episodes, please email me at deacongreg.stpauls at gmail.com. That's D-E-A-C-O-N-G-R-E-G-G dot S-T-P-A-U-L-S at gmail.com. Until next time, may you stay safe and healthy and let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord.